0: Aloha, hey, everybody. This is Jeff Reinbold. This is Jeff Reinbold Show, and we are back to talk about the big nasties, the big nasty ones, the guys who put their hands on the ground. And we got some we got some nasty ones in this group, Ollie. We're talking interior offensive line. This is a position of need for a number of clubs. And I, I I'm, I'm going to give you my kind of thumbnail of it. Ali, I wasn't overly impressed with this group of players. I don't think it's as deep as it's been in a couple of years. And I actually think we're going to see some of those tackles, a guy like Maup, the kid from North Dakota State, maybe moving in to be an an interior offensive lineman in the NFL. But let's get started. I I think there is one no-brainer in the class. And for me, that's Osiris Torrance from Florida. What's your take?
1: Yeah, I love it. I love Osiris Torrance, and as you mentioned there, there are some offensive tackle converts who are going to flip inside and play guard at the, off, uh, the NFL level, and because of that potential, my uh, Osiris Torrance is my second-ranked guard prospect. He is the top true guard in this class. I I think Peter Skaronsky, and we mentioned it at the top of the at the bottom of the offensive tackle show that we did. I think Peter Skoronsky moves inside at the next level. And I think with his combination of of technical excellence and football IQ Um, I think he's going to make it. He he will make an elite guard at the NFL level. I'm not quite sure he matches up to that expectation as a as a tackle in the NFL. But Osiris Torrance, you talk about a big, nasty dude. This kid is six foot five, three hundred thirty pounds. He's got some of the biggest hands in this class. Eleven and a quarter inch hands. Good length uh, to play on the interior as well. Just a huge human being whose sheer size makes him an absolute force in the ground game. Very powerful, violent, strong, mauling type. He's got the mindset that you love to see on the inside of the trenches. He's got that absolute mauler mentality. He's a regular sort of people mover uh, on the inside there. And for a guy that is, as we say, 6'5", 330 pounds, excuse me, I think he moves, for me, when you look at his tape across Louisiana around a florida he moves surprisingly fluidly for a big man he's not going to break any 100 meter world records let's be you know let's be frank about that but he moves surprisingly fluidly um, bends at the knees we talked about technique when we we're talking about offensive tackles he's not a guy that bends at the waist he's got good techniques and um, bends at the knees very sets with a wide base as a pass protector and this is a kid who like you say is a, a slam dunk of the slam dunk through guard prospects in the 2023 NFL draft class. And a guy who could potentially sneak into the back of the the first round, if you look at a team like the Buffalo Bills, who have got a guard need, always been a popular landing spot um, for, for Osiris Torrens, even the New York Giants back at the back towards the back end of the first round as well. They're a a team who've who've seen some losses on the interior offensive line through free agency. So I think Osiris Torrance, of course, is areas for him to work on. He's he's not what you would class as an elite athlete by any stretch of the uh, imagination. Sometimes his his football awareness can be um, something that you would like to see a little improvement on. But as far as the rest of his game goes, I don't think you can... I don't see anyone at the position outstripping uh, Osiris Torrance's draft ranking come April the 27th. You know, in your work, Ali,
0: for PFN, um, when you look at a kid like this and you recognize that, that girth, that just the the amount, I mean, the girth is the only word I can come up with. When When you look at the end zone copy from the back, when he's got, which is really where you want to evaluate the offensive lineman from. I mean, this his width and hit this the amount of space he takes, and the um, you know his physicalness at, at the point of attack are all things that I really really like. Now, I think if you're looking for a guy to pull and get on the perimeter and you know be out there and block the strong safety, I don't know if that's your guy. But I'm telling you, if you want to maul inside and take up space inside. I think this kid's got a great future. And, you know, you look at him playing against upper level, and I'm talking about SEC-level competition. I know we talk about that all the time, but I really do weigh heavily for a guy that plays in the SEC because he's playing against the best of the best, you know, every week. So I thought he was far and away the only – and let me say it this way. If there's a first-round pick, an interior guy, I think this is the guy that's going to be a first-round pick. In, you know, in, in, uh, on draft day, let's, let's go to another guy that, and again, I, you know, I'm not stacking my board right now. I'm just looking at guys, and there's a six year senior at Minnesota. You talk about a six year senior, you know, that's a rare guy. He's either got to have some sort of injury history or, but it was COVID that, that helped out John Michael Schmitz from Minnesota. You know, there is a guy that to me, is really ready to play at the next level. You look at the things he can do physically, the things he can do, his awareness, his technique, all those things. Now, a concern it will be a concern for some teams. I don't know how you feel about it. You know, they're going to look at him and say, Well, he's you know, he's, he's older than we like when they come into the league. But I think this kid, I think John Michael Schmitz at, at Minnesota will take that 6'4, 330 pound frame at center and step in and play right away. Think about a, a team like the Jets who have a, a need at centre, that there's a guy I think if they would invest the pick would would be a plug-and-play guy.
1: Yeah, I think when you talk about you make a great point about the age because we've talked about this in, in uh, various positions, particularly the quarterback position. Age certainly is a factor into how NFL teams evaluate talent because you need to know what you've got and how long you're going to get it. I think with... Um, John Michael Schmitz—that experience that he brings from playing six years or being in college for six years, should I say—is very evident in how he plays the game of football. He's an extremely smart football player, which is exactly what you want at the pivot. You know, at the at the center position, you want a guy who is smart because he's got a lot to handle. Usually, the the center is going to be the guy that sets the sets the protection for your offense. He's going to be the guy that is spying who's who's doing what on the defense and relaying that to the quarterback. He's a good guy that's going to be responsible for um, the other four guys on the offensive line around him. So you want a guy that's smart, and that's certainly what Jean Michael Schmidt says. I think he's a better athlete and, and I know we've touched upon the gripes of the combine and and pro day testing experience and how it shapes how people view prospects john michael schmidt didn't test extremely well at the nfl combine but i think when you flip on the tape i think he's a better functional athlete than what those combine testing numbers suggest he's extremely explosive off the Excuse me, off the snap, he's he's the first guy to the marker nearly every time. You watch how he executes reach blocks. He's he's got the athleticism to be the first man um, on the scene. He's strong. He plays with good pad level. He understands how to use leverage. All those things that you can't put a combine testing measure on. He's got good hands. He's got good feet. He's not the longest. Um, he's not the longest uh, center or guard prospect. Interior offensive line prospect in this class. He could seek to be a little bit more consistent with his feet and his hand placement. But I think overall, if you're an NFL team that is looking to use an early round pick on a centre, if you need a centre in this class, I think John Michael Schmitz is your your very best bet. In in a class that has got a good number of centres, you talk about the guard position and there's Osiris Torrents and then it's like, who the hell else is there? There's a good number of centres that... Are in and around the same sort of ballpark area, but I think John Michael Schmitz is the best of the bunch. You you watch if you're an if you're an NFL team that wants to run the football, you watch what the Minnesota Golden Gophers have done with John Michael Schmitz leading the way for Mo Ibrahim for the past what it feels like twenty years. Um, but there's a there's a reason that Mo Ibrahim's a record holder at Minnesota, and, and one of those reasons is John Michael Schmitz.
0: Yeah, I, you know I agree with you. I, you put the tape on. And to me, I always default to the take. And there are some, when you look at a center in my mind, if you have the ability, and I'm going to try and diagram this without a, without a telestrator, but uh, when you line up on, uh, when you line up a defensive lineman, if he's head up on the guard, we call that a two. If he's on the outside shade of the guard it's either a three or a two Oh, and if he's on in the inside shade of a guard, it's a two I. And when one of the marks of a center to me is when you can reach a 2 I, which means that let's say he's lined up to your right, playing on the inside shade of the guard, and we're running a play to the, to the right. If you can reach block him, right, which is hard. Now, to reach a 2 I is really difficult. To, to reach a three technique or a two-oh is almost impossible. But I saw him on tape reach a two-oh and s- consistently reach a 2 I. And there was one play I watched on tape, and I can't remember who it was against. And they were running, they're running, and Minnesota does run the ball extremely well. So from a run game standpoint, he's his he's got really good technique, I think. But he banged the two eye. They were running the ball and he had to get he had the middle linebacker, but he stepped to the two eye in case there was a stunt, banged the two eye back to the guard, and then climbed up for the linebacker and was able to cover up the linebacker. And I thought that's really high level football play by a you know, by a guy who's as you say, and I think that's a great, great observation that when you look at a running back, for example, who's a six-year guy, you say, God, a lot of hits gonna be come into the league older. We won't have him very long. But you look at it as an offensive lineman, you look at it and say, Hey, those are that's a Reservoir of experience that that guy is going to carry into the league, and that's why I, that's one of the reasons why I had him ahead of uh, the rest of that group at center. And I think it, I agree with you. Center class is deep; guard class is
1: shallow. Um,
0: yeah. Who'd you have next?
1: And um, so I've got Joe Tipman, um, and again, I'm, this is a. I'm with you 100. <laughs> this is this is again. It's a demonstration of how good this center class is because. Um, Joe, you've got Osiris Torrance, Then I've got Joe Tippman. Then you've got a number of centers that I think are in and around the area. You've got Luke Whipler out of Ohio State. You've got Oluolo Atimi out of Michigan. There's a number of guys who are kind of in that similar range. You aren't seeing a guard till I think a, a true guard. I'm going to talk about a guy who plays guard but can also play center and maybe will do it the next level in a little while. But another true guard, you're looking in the hundreds, Whereas I think there's a number of centers that could go in the top 100. And I think Joe Titman's the next man up. This is a guy who he's big for a center. And by big, I don't mean he's just oh. yeah, he's tall. He's tall, six six, he's long, big hands. He's I think he looks taller and longer because he's not stout. You know, he's 313 on a six foot six frame, which it does have its drawbacks for his game. You you know, you see sometimes how he um plays high he sometimes struggles with leverage at the center because he is such a, a tall guy. He's, he can be prone to bear hugging, which we mentioned penalties. I think in the offensive tackle show, he can be prone to bear hugs and penalties and how will the NFL evaluate that? But I think the pros of what Joe Tippmann brings to you far outweigh the negatives because this is a kid who is a physical freak. Like, the the numbers, before you even talk about the combine and pro day, this is a kid who straight out of high school is already setting ridiculous weight room escapades, a kid who can squat 635 pound on a bag squat. It's, that's incredible. Um, but he then takes that and goes one step further as an athlete, because this is a kid with a 1.65 10 yard split. Now there's some wide receivers in this class who aren't, Laying those sort of numbers down, and Joe Titman's a six foot six, 313 pounds centre. It's incredible. Um, unusual size for a center, but he is good has got good length, explodes well out of his stance to initiate contact. It <clears throat> works well out to the second level. Strong, he's got a, a strong grip, strong latch, good core strength, good anchor. I think when you look at Joe Titman's tape, this is a kid who's got a, the the almost perfect, the sort of almost ideal combination of athletic, athletic ability, technical ability, and football IQ that you don't want to see at the centre position, um, kind of wrapped up in a very, in, impractical, in, in, in unusual frame for a centre. But Wisconsin, you know, they, they know how to develop incredible offensive line talents. And they've had a whole string of them um, in recent years and obviously historically that have gone on to to produce great things in the NFL. And I think Joe Tippmann is a guy who can can come in and do that for a, an NFL offense. And I think he can come in and do it very quickly as well. Yeah, I you know, I, I agree
0: with 99% of everything that you've said. The one thing that concerns me about him uh, is – how is he gonna you, you don't see very many three four teams in college, true three four teams in college and when he gets up against those three hundred and forty pound zeros noses um and you know i I worry about guys getting into his chest because he is he's six six i mean he's got he looks like a tackle playing center right and usually your 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 center He's going to be a six two, six three guy. So he has leverage on those big bodies up inside. He's gonna learn, he's gonna have to learn how to anchor quickly. And I, you know, again, all it's gonna take is a couple days of training camp against those kind of guys, and he'll figure it out. But you you know, again, Wisconsin, like you said, is a factory of offensive linemen. And I think had that kid played at another school, we might have seen him at tackle because he has tackle dimensions, even though. He has you know tackle athleticism at the center position, which is a unique combination if he can play with leverage and if he can play with his hands inside and he gets away from the things that you saw, just like I saw, where there was too many times both hands were outside the frame, I think he's got a chance to be a really, really good player. Uh, I want to bounce back to guard and because it isn't a deep guard bunch, and I want to talk about two guys that I have them like neck and neck, right? And and that's Emile Ekior Jr. from Alabama and Andrew Voorhees from USC. And I gave Ekior the nod for one simple reason, Ollie. And I hate to say this, but I coached his
1: dad. <laughs> so
0: <yes. laughs> Emil Echior senior, I coached. So I I, I don't know. I don't know if that's good or
1: bad. <laughs> that seems like a seems like a good tiebreaker if there is if there is one. I think when you look at those two guys, and I've got a couple of center, a couple of guard prospects ahead of, of, of both of those two guys. I think if you're looking for a differentiator between the two, uh, I think Andrew Voorhees, the um, the injury that he sustained at the combine, although he went ahead and then whipped out a ridiculous amount of bench presses despite only having one leg. I think that um, the nature of, and severity of that injury when it comes to an NFL team stacking the draft board, I think that is is, is going to play against Andrew Voorhees. A, a player who I know some NFL scouts and and media scouts and analysts like myself had got um, a very high um, grade, like a top 100 grade on Andrew Voorhees. But subsequently following that injury, you have to wonder if he's still will fall into into that ballpark area. Um, I think with with Emil Ekio, you come back to something we just discussed with Joe Tipman is this kid's six foot two, 320 pounds. He's incredibly stout. He's incredibly well leveraged as an offensive lineman. Um, and I think NFL teams, um, he, and he's played, you know, he's played in the trenches at Alabama in the SEC. Um it, there's a number of things that you are a ticks in the box when you compare and contrast those two guys so I think Emil Ecuador does have a a slight advantage there over Andrew Voorhees, who is the archetypal getting the getting the scrum in the interior of the offensive line and just throw your weight and your your nastiness and your um desire to want to beat another another man that really does factor into Andrew Voorhees' game.
0: I You know, and the thing about him to me as you study him and I think this is important to, you know, you know, the history of this, this kid, three stars, three star kid. Now, again, I know that that's, that's all speculative. Right. And who's who's evaluating and all that, but he was not a highly recruited kid to a school that has, we talk about Wisconsin producing offensive linemen. USC doesn't take a backseat to anybody when it comes to offensive linemen. he finds a way to get himself on the field, right? And play a lot of snaps at left guard, played tackle, played all over the place at SC. But And and I, I love that position flexibility. And there's something about SC or offensive linemen, going back to Munoz and, you know, shoots. They've had tons of them in, in the National Football League. Um, I think he's been well coached. He's tough. And, and like you say, when a guy has a setback, in an environment, particularly in a pressure evaluative environment, like the combine is he has a setback and still finds a way to, you know, and, and he didn't milk it or, you know, I mean, it was no drama. He just strapped it up, went to the bench test with one leg and, you know, you, you say, well, it's his chest or work. Yeah, it is. But if you've ever bench pressed, you know that you have to anchor your feet into the ground and it's a total body, body exercise at a point. So I, I gave him extra marks for that. I was a little concerned with Ekior on some occasions. He, he, you know, he has a bad habit of dropping his head. And again, he's gonna miss on those on those next level quick guys when you know when he's, when he does that. They're gonna have to connect, or excuse me, correct that flaw. But again, another guy that played a lot of really good football at a really good Institution where he will come tough and he will come ready to play. Now, I know you got this guy ranked higher than me. You have to, because I have a prejudice against what? What's the thing I do not like about offensive line? One, one thing. If you if you're one of those guys, you know you're going to drop on my board. What is it? You know, just
1: well based on the conversations that we've had in this draft cycle and the previous ones, if this kid is a fat kid. He's going to be very prejudiced on your board. If he's got jiggly bits, he's got, he's getting down. He's a seventh. Even if he's got first round talent, he's a seventh round pick in well, Jeff Primod's board. Game.
0: I don't know if it's that bad, but I thought it was amazing when you when when that I sent that little video out of the French kid at pro day the other day, and you and you wrote back, you hit me back about no jiggle there. That's exactly right. That kid was chiseled. But this guy is all over the place. And when I put the tape on, I like him as a player until I look at his face and it looks like a skillet. I mean, this guy, this guy's got a <laughs> guy face for days. Steve Avila from TCU, 6'4, 320 pound guard.
1: <laughs> Poor Steve Avila. I, um, I, I really. I really like his game, I'll be honest with you. And I think in this class where there's there's not many great true guard prospects, I think Steve Avia brings a lot to the table. Like you said, he's he's got the archetypal interior offensive line build in terms of his size, his weight. He's got good length as well, 33-inch arms. He's got experience and a lot of experience playing both guard and centre, which I think is going to be... And um, particularly crucial for a number of prospects in this class, the frame is incredibly stout. Even if you know, maybe jiggles, <laughs> jiggles a little bit, um, but he's incredibly strong. He's incredibly powerful. He's got a vice-like grip. When Steve Vera gets you in that grip, you ain't getting out of it. He's incredibly hard to shake off. And he he has shown that he can get out to the second level in the ground game as well. You watched TCU this year. You watched um, Kendra Miller. You watched Amari Demarcado. I mean, not <laughs> Stephen Miller wasn't getting in front of Amari Demarcado that much. a guy who I referred to as Amari Lamborghini because that kid can go. Um, but they've they've you know they've we, we come back to John Michael Schmitz and, and Mo Ibrahim combination at Minnesota. Steve Avia has been able to lead the way for the, a stable of, of running backs at the Hope for the Horn Frogs that, that managed to get them all the way to the College Football National Championship this year. And you you noticed him not being there more than you noticed him being there. When he was, um, he was taken out of the National Championship game, they made such a big difference to that TCU um, offensive line. I think that's the true mark of how, how good a, a kid is. I mean... On the flip side, like you say, the jiggle. There's not an elite athleticism. There's no way at any point you're going to refer to Steve Avila as an elite athlete. I think that may limit his landing spots in the NFL. There's some technical refinement certainly required as a blocker, and um, particularly on the move. And his sheer desire, his sheer will, his sheer... That mauler mindset sometimes he's too aggressive. You see him miss a block because he all he wants to do is to it. He wants to flatten a guy, um, and that isn't always the best approach to take as an offensive lineman. You sometimes you have got to be a patient. You've got to understand where your, your feet need to be, where your hands need to be. You need to know how to um, control a guy. You, you can't just you can't just always be wanting to kill a guy. Um, and I think that's with Steve Avila's game. That is something you want to see, maybe take it back a notch or two. Um, but I think when you're you when you're looking at a class that is really struggling for guard talent, I think, A, the fact that he can play guard to a high level, B, the fact that he has got that centre versatility, and C, the fact that he is just a bad, stout, big old dude. He's probably going to play in Steve Avila's favour, um, potentially on day two of the NFL draft. Yeah, I, I
0: and again, I, I, I'm probably making more of it than I need to. But, you know, uh, I, I just worry about guys who struggle with their weight. When they're college athletes not making any money and then all of a sudden you put all that money in their pocket and are they, you know, I mean, it's the Mecca Mecca Becton scenario. You know, I've seen it happen too many times. You know, as a matter of fact, one of the great quotes of all time in the NFL <laughs> when Jerry, when my buddy Jerry Glanville was head coach of the Falcons, they had drafted, and I can't remember you you'll remember the kid's name. Uh, I had drafted this kid out of Washington, an offensive tackle. It ended up being a really good player in the NFL, and they drafted him with the first pick. And Jerry, in his in his in his own way, that you know, it's the post draft media conference, right? And they asked Jerry about this guy, and he goes, "Well." That boy will be a that boy will be a hall of famer in the National Football League if he can learn two words <laughs> and pressing press in the uh, assembled press in Atlanta. So, and what what are those two words, Coach? I'm full. <laughs> oh, I need please. Oh. I need to learn those two words as well. To be honest with
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: you, <laughs> I, I think Avila's got a chance to be a good player. I do. I really do. I just. Again, whether I'm willing to give a first-round draft choice to a guy that, you know, is about, you know, needs to, needs to say, whoa, after that third burrito, I, I think uh, <laughs> <laughs> remains to be seen. Anybody else you like in those interior guys? I, like I said, I think the tackles are going to move in there. Some of those, you know, seven, eight, t- six seven eight tackles will slide inside.
1: Yeah, I think you, you you know you mentioned Cody March out of North Carolina State. He's the potential uh, to slip inside. I do think Peter Skaronski is a guy who can f- flip inside as well. Uh, there's a few a few guys as you you look down the list of offensive tackles whose future probably is a guard from uh, a, a true interior offensive line perspective. You know, you you mentioned not using first round picks. there, there is only really our uh, Osiris Torrent series worthy of a first round pick. So you're going to be looking day three really, where you want to find value. I think a guy like Antonio Mafia out of UCLA, um, a guard who is really captures the the offensive line mentality. This is a kid who will just flatten you rather than look at you. Um he's really starting to pick up some traction as the as the process moves along. You look at City so Um if you're looking for an under under the radar offensive lineman out of Eastern Michigan, he's yeah. proven to be a, a an absolute snowplow, whatever you want to call it in the the run game. Nasty kid who likes just to flatten guys and he's for, for a, a kid who you know, you look at Eastern Michigan; it's it's not a a, t- a, a team that is going to produce NFL draft prospects year on year. Although, you know, you look at Max Crosby, what he's doing from the defensive side of the ball from that team. Um, but he's, he's 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 well technically developed. He's physical. He's got that that mindset. I think he's a kid who. Um, Finds himself um selected on day three and, and goes on to have a good NFL career. a guard out of NC State, Chandler Zavala, who is also picking up a lot of steam. Another interior offensive lineman who's a little bit taller at 6'5, but he really he really knows his business on the inside of there. And I think unlike some of the guys who are a little bit taller on the inside, he does know how to play with the good pad level, he does know how to um to le- to use leverage. Um so I think there's there's a couple of later round diamonds, if you like, um, available in this um, interior offensive line class. And then at, at, at the center, we mentioned his name a couple of times. Oliver Oliver team out of Michigan. I think this is a kid who doesn't doesn't get a lot of hype in the NFL draft. Like there's no you're not seeing lots of videos of him on Twitter. You're not seeing you're not hearing a lot about him. But I think he's quietly just a prospect who will go on to have a very impressive but quiet NFL career. We, we named him the player of the year in college football for Michigan this year because you look at what he did for that Michigan offensive line when he transferred in from Virginia, led that Michigan offensive line to the Joe Moore Award and was just incredible in leading the way for the, the ground game for you know, Blake Corham. Rightfully so, was very well lauded as a running back prospect before his injury, and he'll return to Michigan this year, and we'll see how he does. He was lauded, but when you watch the offensive line that he worked behind, what, when you watch what all over a team he brings from a football intelligence perspective, from an athletic standpoint, from a technical standpoint at the pivot, from a ability to be a a plow in the run game. He ticks a lot of boxes, but he's he's kind of ticked them very quietly. Um so you know I think what, man, I'm glad you,
0: I'm glad you brought him up because we played them this year and uh after the game I talked to the coaches about him and, and they raved about him. I mean, and not just what kind of football player he was, because we had a pretty good nose tackle, uh a kid named Blessmentala who'd been a four-year starter and 300 pound guy and can bench the, you know, 600 pounds or whatever, you know, and, and all of a team, he dominated it really. And so I said, I thought your center played really well today and they, you know, they, and this was the second game of the year. They didn't really know what they had quite yet, but they raved about the kind of kid he was. He came in from, you know, a, a portal kid from Virginia and immediately was a leader in the offensive line room. His, they talk about his work ethic, all the other things. So I agree with it. Whoever takes that kid is going to have a good player. And I think a guy will be a good player for a number of years to come. And he's, you know, and I don't see it. Like, there's no, it's not like he's five eleven or he's 290 pounds. I mean, the guy is a legitimate guy and for whatever reason, you know, I think maybe because the guy at Ohio State maybe gets a little bit more, you know, bu- pub, because he's maybe playing on that offensive line with those two tackles that that they've got that are going to think be first day guys have a ch- chance to be first day guys. So, teamy I agree. I agree with. Uh, what is your take on the Ohio State center?
1: Luke Whipple is very well respected in the scouting community. I think he's in that group along with, um. I think just behind like Joe, John Michael Schmitz and Joe Tipman, I think there's like Luke Whipler, there's Ricky Strongberg out of uh, out of Arkansas. John Gaines is a kid out of UCLA who's kind of gained a little bit of traction. Same with Drew, uh, Juice uh, Juice. Easy for me to say, Juice Scruggs at Penn State. He's a guy who is. Um, Is starting to to gain a little traction. Whipple, six three, three hundred pounds. So he's you know he is stout. Um, Not the biggest of centers, um, but he's incredibly athletic. Um, He's not the strongest, I don't think. I don't think he's the most powerful center, um, but he's incredibly athletic. And when you when you play on that offensive line, you like you mentioned. Dewan Jones, Paris Johnston, they've got a couple of good, the guards that played last year, who are, who are also talented football players. You know, you know that the football intelligence is going to be there with Luke Whipler, and I think that shows when you, you you look at the tape and you evaluate the kids. So, not the, the the strongest, not the biggest, but I think a, a very good athlete, a very clever football player who is probably going to go day two. But like the third round, I think that's the that's probably the sweet spot for a number of centers. If you look at this NFL draft class in 2023, I think I think you're exactly right. And I think that uh, fans, if
0: you out there, if your team needs an interior offensive lineman, there's a couple centers possibly that could go early. If you got if you can get your hands on Osiris Torrance, that's a guy you're going to covet. Other than that, at guard you know again there's there's more questions than there are answers and some of those questions will be answered by tackles moving inside i i think if you're a place that has and i don't i don't know where he might fall in this regard but if you're a place that feels good about where you're at right now with offensive tackles you take a guy like skronsky and stick him in a guard and you got you know i think you got a pro bowler for a number of years so if you have that luxury and you're in that pick and you know, you're dedicated to improving your offensive line, there's a number of ways that it's going to get done, either by tackles coming inside or, you know, I, I think some of these centers actually have the chance to to move over and play guard. So uh, there's some position flexibility in this group, certainly. So, again, Ali uh, from Pro Football Network, Ali Hodgkinson, our draft guru, as we rip through the interior offensive lineman. coming next week, we'll be doing... The guys on the other side that these guys are going to have to block in training camp, the interior of the defensive line. Until then, aloha from the Jeff Reinbold Show.